Hey, good Sunday evening, everybody. Welcome into the Rocky Top Rewind. I am Eric Kane alongside Brent Hubs, and a big thank you for being here today. We're going to be uh, on the air live until 9 o'clock Eastern time. Go ahead and fill up the comment section with some of your questions. We're going to spend time answering uh, questions over the course of uh, pretty much the entire hour. So send in your questions. And uh, we've been doing this for about 14 weeks now and couldn't do it without our friends over at Spivey King and Spivey LLP for being the title sponsors of uh, the uh, the Rocky Top Rewind. Big thanks to them. Again, they're, they're great people. you got a problem, you can let them find a solution for you at TN Trial Lawyers. You can give them a call today for a free consultation. That's at 423-245-4185. Again, that's a free consultation for Spivey King and Spivey LLP at 423-245-4185. And uh, this will be the last Rocky Top Rewind we will do you know, regular scheduled every single week. We'll pop up from time to time and and go live here on the YouTube channel and over at VolQuest.com. But uh, this is the last one on Sunday night from football season. Uh, but still, Brent Hubbs, a whole lot to talk about. And um, it started this afternoon with Tennessee's bowl destination that's going to Orlando for the Citrus Bowl against Iowa. Yeah, and this is why bowl games are so hard to pick where you're gonna where they're going to go. Um, and, and I've learned this lesson through the years with, with some things where – you know, it all it all pointed out to Tennessee going to to Bowl X, and they ended up somewhere else. And it, it's it's not because of anything Tennessee did. It's not in their control. And uh, what, there was at no point this weekend um, did anybody think that Ole Miss was going to make the New Year's Six. Um, and then last night, Brett McMurphy put out that he had he had Ole Miss in his New Year's Six. He later changed that and took them out. Um, but the only way Tennessee could get to Orlando was with is if the SEC got four teams and a combination of the playoff in the New Year's Six. And with Florida State not making the playoff, that took Louisville out of the equation for the New Year's Six. And so that opened up a second spot or opened up another spot in the New Year's Six. And it was either going to be Ole Miss or Oklahoma. A lot of people thought that Oklahoma – would pass Ole Miss in the final rankings, Eric, because they would get a bigger credit for the Texas win because Texas made the playoff. Mm -hmm. And then when they didn't pass and Ole Miss got into the New Year's Six, then here's the here's the Citrus Bowl looking at, okay, who are we going to take? Well, the provision says they can't take anybody that has less, that's two losses less than the, high, the, the highest team remaining with a win total. In other words, LSU sitting with nine meant they couldn't take a seven-win team to the Citrus Bowl. So they had two teams they could pick from. They could pick from LSU or Tennessee. They had LSU at Camping World Stadium in the preseason to take on Florida State to kick off the year, and they had LSU in their bowl game last year. They didn't want LSU three times in a, three times in a year span. And so there stands Tennessee available for the Citrus Bowl, and that's how a team that was seen pretty destined to Jacksonville, Florida – all day yesterday, you know, into the night, that's how they end up in Orlando this afternoon, which is the way the bowl system works. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty wild to uh, kind of think the path and the avenues. We've been talking about the Gator Bowl, how that's a likely destination for, you know, much of the last week if everything holds and, and everything didn't hold. And, of course, you've got a, you know, the provisions in there about, like you mentioned, with LSU playing in that stadium two times in the past year and everything like that. It just feels like... I mean, it feels like a win for Tennessee, right? I mean, you want to get to the state of Florida for a bowl game, of course. Um, you know, the the Outback Bowl is better than the Gator Bowl. But the Citrus Bowl is pretty much one of those, like, okay, if you're not in New Year's Six, 
This is kind of where you want to be. I know Steve Spurrier made those comments about Tennessee in the 90s, but you know, right now you say, okay. I mean, if you said Tennessee taking a slight step back, I think Austin said on the video earlier today, Tennessee goes 9-3 and three and goes to the Citrus Bowl. You, you sign up for that every day of the week heading into the season, in my opinion. And Tennessee finished 8-4, and four, but does get to go to the Citrus Bowl. Yeah, and, and it is. I mean, it's one of those deals where, you, you know, you want to be in uh, in the best bowl game you can get to. You want to be in Florida where you typically have warmer weather. Um, this is a place Tennessee's not been to in a long time. Uh, so I think there's some excitement about that. The other thing, too, is the date matters. And and, and this is going to sound a little crazy, but, I mean, you're you're – you don't go down before Christmas, right? You don't have Christmas in a hotel room. Um, you know, you, you get a, you get a chance to do Christmas with your family in a little different way. You can go home and, and celebrate Christmas on, you know, 23rd to 24th and fly down on the 25th and meet the team that night, um, you know, down in Orlando that way. So um, it, it's otherwise you're going to be going to Jacksonville on the 23rd. You know, and and that's hard. I mean, I don't care what I don't care anywhere you're at. I don't care how old you are. Going home for Christmas is still going home for Christmas. And so I, I think that part of it is 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 in is an intrigue. And that's better for guys. I think that gets everybody feeling a little bit better. I'm sure the Tennessee likes this matchup right with Iowa. And we'll dive into that throughout this this podcast here or this video cast um, for a lot of for a lot of the Tennessee coaches. You're going back to a place where it all kind of got started for you, right? I mean, you 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 kind of built your reputation to get the Tennessee job because of what you did at UCF. Same for Danny White. You're gonna go see a lot of old friends and be yeah. back there. So, I mean, I, I'm I'm sure this was their choice. I just don't think Tennessee honestly thought that it was a a realistic possibility um, that the last few days, and it kind of it kind of came that way. I'll, I'll give credit. There were there were a couple people on campus that told me. Um, after the Vanderbilt game, don't rule out the, don't rule out the Citrus Bowl. And I said, there's no way that there's <laughs> four teams in the New Year's Six in a playoff. And I said, never say never. You just don't know how it's going to fall. And it, it's all because Florida State didn't get in. If Florida State had gotten in, then Louisville is in the Orange Bowl. Ole Miss doesn't make the New Year's Six. Ole Miss is in the Citrus Bowl, and Tennessee is probably in Jacksonville, Florida, is where Tennessee sets at. Um, if, Hey, if LSU, if Texas A&M holds on and beats LSU and LSU is an eight win team, then that brings in the seven win teams into the equation. If the Citrus Bowl wanted to take somebody else. So what, what happens if, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if Auburn doesn't rush to that, the whole world of college football is different th these days, right? If Auburn yeah. doesn't rush too. So, um, it's crazy, but, but this is how we ended up where we're at in Tennessee. I'm sure is excited. I know they're excited about going to Orlando and taking on Iowa in this bowl game. Yeah. Um, it was obviously, a, a very eventful afternoon in the world of college football it was eventful Saturday and championship Saturday with you know, the outcomes and, um, you know, Alabama beating Georgia and throwing all that for a loop, Texas winning the way it did Washington, knocking off Oregon on Friday night. And of course, seeing the very pedestrian offensive showing in the ACC championship with Florida State. The fact of the matter is, Florida State is an undefeated Power 5 team. And again, I know we're talking Tennessee here, but we got some questions here from Timothy, and we appreciate the super chat, Timothy. I mean, Florida State is a you know an undefeated Power 5 team that won a conference championship. It did not get in. Timothy says, hey, this is a better format for the playoffs. 24-team bracket. Now, the top eight teams seeded and received automatic buys of the second round. The rest of the 24-team 
which is 16 teams will play in the first round. This is what FCS has been doing for years. The, the problem with all that is, I mean, at least the it's unfortunate for this year, but I mean, what if this was next year? And oh yeah, didn't they vote to bring the 12 team playoff a year earlier? And the Alliance said, no way, no way. Point of the matter is FSU would get in a 12 team playoff and you'd be, you'd be splitting hairs on the 13th and 14th team. It's unfortunate for FSU. Um, that's just the way that they went. The committee went this year. Well, and when you have a small number of teams, when you're, when your playoff pool is four instead of eight or 12 or 16 or 24, I mean, I think 24 would water down the regular season so much that, that it makes it really hard to 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 kind of look at that and justify that. I, I, I'm curious to see how 12 is going to work because I want to see what that does. I, I think, you know, I, I mentioned on the board yesterday about what would it do to championship Saturday with, with a 12-team playoff because so many of these teams are already in. But you are potentially playing for home field advantage, you know, and playing for a bye. There's lots of things you can be playing for on championship Sunday. So there's still some value there. I think when you start watering it down uh, in, in terms of two dozen teams, I think that makes it really hard to, to justify the significance of the regular season, which is obviously a, where college football thrives, right? The, the impact of every game. Now, FSU fans will tell you today there is no impact of every game, right? I mean, there, there is no impact because it doesn't matter. That's where they're at. Every fan base, any fan base that's in Florida State's situation right now would be livid, and rightfully so. Um, I mean, rightfully so. So uh, there's always going to be argument, but my point is I think the argument is a little more manageable between schools 12 and 13 versus schools 4 and 5. When you have a, a, a larger number to work with, it's a little easier to have the argument of, well, I mean, there's 12 teams in. You weren't one of the top 12. It's a different argument to me than the difference between being fourth and being fifth. Um, you know, so there's just, I mean, Ben sitting there has got, you know, Florida State not getting, uh, has changed the narrative to mean that if you're undefeated but you don't have a sexy quarterback, you're not getting in. I, I, you know, um, I think it's more about – how Florida State played the last two weeks with a backup quarterback, and I know they won at Florida. They were down 12 nothing. They came back for a win. Their defense was incredible in doing that. Quarterback play wasn't very good. I don't know that it's about being sexy. I think it's about being productive. Um, and, again, the, 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 the playoff committee does themselves no favors because they talk in circles so much, mm -hmm. Eric, that, that they tie themselves up in knots with their comments um, and, and their provisions in there. Um, that they weren't going to win today. I mean, that, that whatever decision they made today was not going to win. That that's why they were so so hoping last night. I'm sure that the Louisville tight end held onto the ball, right, no. in, in the end zone for a touchdown and, and give Louisville a chance to win that football game because that made life easier for them if that were the case. Uh, because every team that didn't get in can make an argument as to why they should, right? If, if Alabama's getting in because they are one of the four best teams in the country. Not, and Georgia not, should be there. Right. Then is Georgia not one of the four yeah. best teams? I understand Georgia's argument. I get it 100%. Mm -hmm. I, also get, I also get Florida State's argument that we couldn't do anything more than what we did. In fact, we found a way to win when we were not at full strength. Why are we not, why are we not rewarded for that? It's yeah. a great argument. I have no problem with that argument. I don't have a counter for that. Other than to say... It's the eyeballs and the human element. 
And the human element is always going to be the human element. And you never know. I mean, college football is being decided by 13 people in a room. The four teams that got in for a chance to go play for a title today was decided by 26 sets of eyes and 26 sets or 26 eyes, 13 pairs of eyes and ears who were hearing for everybody. You, you don't think people in that committee were getting text messages from commissioners and from people in the, you know, people in the business that they know lobbying for one school in their conference or that. And, and so when you bring in that human element, the, the, the rules are, I don't want to say completely out the window, but those provisions all get shifted a little bit into kind of fitting into your narrative that you're trying to craft or you're trying to put out there. Yeah. I mean, again, like you said it best, it was, the committee was not going to win today and we're going to get back to more of your Tennessee questions when we, we get in here in segment two, but this is obviously the biggest thing going on in sports right now. And so I wanted to talk about it a little bit. The, the committee was not going to win. Um, and I think the frustrating part is if you go back and look at years past too, it's like, where's the consistency just like in, in, uh, in officiating, if it's always been about the best four teams, that's not always been the case. A lot of times it's been the four best deserving teams. If you're going by that metric. Then FSU absolutely needs to be in there. Um, but if you truly are, and, and this is my opinion, I know I'm in the minority here, but if you truly are going by who are the four best teams right now, you can't sit here and tell me that Florida state with the injuries at quarterback, are they deserving to be in 100%? But if, if Florida state played Alabama or Georgia or Michigan tomorrow on a neutral site, they would lose by 25. Just, just I mean, they would, it just it is what it is. And it's unfortunate. So with the 12 team playoff, this won't matter. And that that's good. But, um, I hate it for the for the for the players for the coaches because every gripe they have, I'm, I mean, I hear you. Like I get it; it's frustrating, but it just kind of is the way the committee went this time. Well, uh, we got- you, you're going to hear you're going to hear so much about SEC biased, yeah. You know because the, because of how aligned the ESPN, uh, who has all the rights and controls the college football playoff playoffs, how aligned they are with the SEC. All of that, you know, we, we've seen it. And, and, I, and look, I get, I get the argument that's being made. You know, Danny Cannell went on a two-minute um, deal on, on Twitter today about it. And, and I get all those um, – I get, I get that part of it. And, and those are, that's why the committee wasn't going to win. It was never going to be a win. If they put in FSU, there would be people who would be praising them, and then there would be people who would be ripping them for not selecting the four best teams. Um, they just weren't going to win either way. Um, but I mean, you can make it's, I looked at this last night. I mean, you can make a case for everybody scraping by, you know, everybody talks about, and again, if Florida state had gotten in, I wouldn't have any problem with it. If that's what the committee said. Now it's easy for me to say that cause I didn't have a dog in the fight. Right. No. I mean, Washington could have lost two or three games this year. They were close to losing games. I watched the Arizona game. If it's not for a bad officiating call in the Arizona game, they may look very well lose that game there. Um, you know, they were they were up against it against USC and and Washington State. I mean, they were in a bunch of games that were really, really close. Um, Texas should have lost or could have very easily lost at Kansas State. Mm-hmm. They held on for their life against TCU when they just fell asleep at the wheel in the fourth quarter. Florida State did the same thing at full strength against Boston College. At Boston College, it was a two-point game. You know, and, and the same way with Louisville. Everybody talks about how great Louisville is. I've seen Louisville play three or four times. They, they played well against Notre Dame. They got hot. They, they created some short fields and turnovers on defense and blew out Notre Dame, you know, because Hartman threw a couple of picks and, and got it going. 
They also scored 13 points in a 13-10 win over an NC State team that's not real good. And so everybody scrapes by. Everybody has a game or two along the way there, which, again, gets back to the notion of what are you going to look like? Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, what are you looking for as a committee member? Because what I think you should be looking for, Eric, and what you think you should be looking for, are two different things. Yep. There's no way you're putting 13 people in a room and they're going to agree upon what are the biggest factors in their mind. There's just no way it's going to happen that way. Made for TV events, though, right? How many hours do they get out of that today? What, five? Uh, a whole bunch. And, hey, they've gotten it every Tuesday night for the last yep. weeks. Yep, right? they sure have. I mean, it's just part of it. We'll come back. We'll answer tons of your questions. Go ahead and send those in there. I'm starring and we'll get to your questions. We'll talk more about the playoffs. Tennessee going to the Citrus Bowl. And, of course, uh, Transfer Portal officially opens up tomorrow. COVID seniors. What's Tennessee's team going to look like for the Citrus Bowl? All that and more. That's coming up as the Rocky Top Rewind continues on. Do you want to give a shout-out, again, to our proud sponsors here the last 14 weeks? That's Spivey King and Spivey LLP. Couldn't do the show without them. Uh, great, great people, big Tennessee fans as well. And if you got a problem, they're going to find a solution for you. TN Trial Lawyers, they specialize in criminal defense, such as family law, personal injury. Uh, I have over 80 years of combined experience. Bobby King and Spobby LLP provides representation throughout state and federal courts of Northeast Tennessee. The firm's got a vast amount of trial experience. This practice has been in place for 43 years. This specific partnership working together since 2012, and they have partners who are energized and ready for today's legal demands practicing primarily in northeast tennessee of the sullivan county uh it's hawkins county washington counties and surrounding areas but they will help you as well no matter where you are the firm has won multiple awards with attorneys who are related by who've been rated by super lawyers in the mid-south with real trial experience whether you're injured in car accidents uh, need a divorce help with custody of your children or have been accused of a crime spivey king and spivey llp is here to help you. You can get a free consultation today by picking up the phone and give them a call at 423-245-4185. That is 423-245-4185. Or visit them online at spivykingandspivyllp.com. More of the Rocky Top Rewind is coming up next right here at ballquest.com. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind here Sunday nights, VolQuest.com and VolQuest on the YouTube channel. I got a lot to discuss. We'll go ahead and jump back into your questions, and we appreciate you for uh, sending them in. We'll go with some, uh, uh, let's see here, some super chat questions if I can find them. Okay. Uh, here is Mike. Mike says, Hey, last week I mentioned uh, saw anything is possible with Howler and Hill. Seen part two now. Brent, God bless you. Sorry about my comment last week. Thank you. 
and your family for all you do. So Mike saw part two, and I know you had a whole lot of fun doing that, Brent. Oh, yeah, and I don't know what his comment was, Mike. So um, I, I obviously wasn't bothered by any comment. All good. <laughs> all good, Mike. So I appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words. But, yeah, I wasn't bothered by anything for sure. All right, Timothy Chon's back in and says, I only say 24 teams like FCS because you won't have opt-outs uh, like you see. That's interesting. Um, I'm intrigued to see what the opt-outs look like when this grows to 12 teams. I would assume, to Timothy's point, I mean, if you have a chance to play for a national championship, I would assume the opt-out numbers would would decrease. But, I mean, gosh, if you got the 24 teams and stuff, I mean, they're still thinking about their future. I'm intrigued to see what the opt-outs would look like next year with 12 teams than if it ever got the 24. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, an interesting point. And, and um, again, I think, Timothy, you know, we talked about it's not going to be 24, but your point about reduced number of opt-outs with a higher volume of teams is going to be really fascinating to, to watch and see how that changes. Because I, I totally get the opt-outs if, if the bowl game is just an exhibition game. I, I think bowl games outside of the playoff games um, are, are really just about – really it's about moving forward. It's about your young players in, in, in a lot of ways. And I think that's an interesting thing that coaches have to battle because you want to reward your veteran players that want to play in the bowl game, but you're also looking at, for this as a, uh, a launching point for next year's team, if you will. So um, I, I, I will be curious to see a year from now what that opt-out number looks like. All right, let's go back to the questions here. Um, let's see here. This is from Austin. If you're Josh Heupel, do you make a bigger splash in the transfer portal this year at certain positions? You know, Brent, we've talked about it. I think Josh Heupel and his staff need to be evaluating every tight end, every offensive tackle that enters the portal. Um, be looking at a wide receiver, be looking at a defensive back, a defensive lineman. But those key positions, I would assume, start with tight end, offensive tackle. And then, of course, you got a really, really good player that comes and, and likes what you're doing here. I mean, it's it's like kind of best available as well. You're not just going to pass on that player because you're set at a position. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the definition is what is splash, right? I mean, McCollin Castle is not a splash, but, but he was an impactful guy this year for that team. Uh, John Campbell was obviously an impactful guy. Omar and Norman, Omar Norman Lott at five and a half sacks was an impactful player. They didn't make the splash that the Florida State receivers made, you know, as a transfer in. And, and obviously Thornton did not make that kind of splash like you would see. I think splash players for a, in a lot of people's minds, and I'm not speaking for Austin here because I'm not sure exactly what he meant by splash, but for, for a lot of casual fans, a splash player is a quarterback all right, or as a skill guy, running back or a wide receiver, somebody who, who puts up the highlight reel stuff. Um, you know, so Tennessee's looking for some splashes. They need a splash on the offensive line, you know, of some kind, uh, and certainly need a splash at tight end. How many defensive linemen do they need in the portal? Well, it depends on how many of these guys are coming back. I think yeah. they need, you know, if, if these some of these guys are coming back, you need more high school splash than you need transfer portal splash at the defensive line position to build for next year and to build for the year after and the year after that. So um, I do think you have to make hay in the transfer portal for Tennessee. And I think that hay starts um, with the tight end position um, for sure. And, and then some offensive linemen per perhaps. All right, let's go to uh, Sam. Sam says, Hey, with the, will the cheese at mascot be edible? We can only wish we were playing on that pop tarts bowl, right? Uh, what flavor it is, right? I mean, I mean, that's the big part. I mean, what's the flavor of the pop tart bowl? The, the edible mascot. I mean, is that good question? You know, we, we did some is that blueberry. Is that a cherry? I mean, what are we doing there? Pop tart wise. That's a big, that's a big decision. 
You know, the it raspberry is. pop, the raspberry pop tart is probably the most underrated pop tart flavor out there. It really is. It's a really, a really underrated flavor. Well, as you know, we did some some investigative reporting over there at the baseball stadium last year, one of those midweek games, and uh, I, I, I just signed me up for the pop tart bowl. I'm not, a, I'm not a regular consumer of pop tarts, but, but I, I'm a fan of pop tarts. Anyway, pop tarts definitely better than Cheez Its in my opinion, but. Um, will Josh Heupel take a Cheez-Its bath if they win? Is that a thing? I I, I, th- I feel like it is, right? Uh, I mean, that's better than a Duke Mayo bath. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm good there. And with Iowa being absolutely unwatchable, will Tennessee wear those ugly grays to make it harder on the eyes? To his point, we were talking before we uh, before we hit play here. Man, Iowa's really impressive defensively, and we'll get into it over the next month, and I'll have a first glance tomorrow night. But Really good defensively, but offensively, not breaking any news here, but I mean, we're talking last in the country in yards per game, 127th in scoring, 127th in passing, 107th in rushing. They've turned it over 20 plus times. I mean, it's brutal. It's a team built on defense. And um, so you're telling me that's not good. Is that what you're telling me? It's not. It's what I'm telling you. Yeah, it's not good. Okay. I'm just making sure I understood that it's not good. Tennessee will be uh, – they'll be the home team, and they will be in orange um, for a 1 o'clock game. I do not I do not see Tennessee in, in an alternative uniform against the Hawkeyes. Cool. Um, Michael says, do we know who is opting out of the bowl game again? That will be something as we have to watch day-to-day, you know, week-to-week. I would assume those that are pursuing NFL careers, especially underclassmen, Brent, would probably think twice about playing in this bowl game. Um, example, like, what's Jalen Rye going to do? Uh, Tyler Barron's a little different. I mean, Tyler Barron's a draft-eligible senior. If he elects to go to the NFL, what does he do with this game? It's just, it depends on the player, as we saw last year. A couple of guys decided not to play. A couple of guys, Darnell Wright included, and Byron Young, top 10 offensive tackle, third-round pick. They they did play in this game, so we'll just have to see. Yeah, we will. I mean, I think Jalen Wright, I would be surprised if Jalen Wright plays. Um, I think as a defensive guy, you're looking at it, hey, can I can I help my can I help myself? Can I get some buzz about me because I'm playing against a really bad offense? Can I put up some stats maybe? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, you got to factor in the the risk of injury in there. Um, lots of things go into that decision-making process. So, um, but we'll see. I mean, some guys probably made up their mind and they found out they were going to Orlando and maybe they want to change their mind. I don't know. Um, but I, I would be surprised if Jalen Wright plays in the game. I think Tyler Barron, if you'd ask him as soon as the Vanderbilt game was over, Eric, he was done. But I'm not sure if he's done a week later. I'm I'm not sure exactly where he's at right now. So, you know, we'll have to see. I, I don't know what Jabari Small is going to do. Um, and then, obviously, you got some guys going in the portal there. Um, you know, Joe's playing at home. You know, would Joe want to play? I don't know what John Campbell's going to do. If he's going pro, I can see John Campbell, even though it's in his hometown, not playing in this game. But – but we'll see. Those are decisions that will be made in the coming days. Derek says strawberry for sure. Strawberry is a great flavor. Um, let's see. Rusty says Milton should throw a full box of Cheez-Its the length of the field. That would be a great promo deal for sure. And since this will be his last game, I would imagine Tennessee's coaching staff wouldn't care about it, right? Like the, like the whole orange fiasco. Uh, Steven does have a good question. Steven says, since it's in Orlando, is Austin going to go to Disney World? No, I don't think there will be any Disney World in this deal. Um, I don't, I don't think so. That's the, it's, you know, that week is like the most crowded week ever, uh, at Disney world. So I'm not sure that you want to go mess with Disney. Uh, but you never know. I will not be at Disney world. I can promise you that. And not, I'm not sure where Austin Price will be, but I can promise you that I will not be stepping foot, uh, on the property of the, uh, 
of the Magic Kingdom or, or some Disney property there. I'll have to be I'll have to be drugged to to get to the to a Disney property for any kind of meal. I'm certainly not going to go ride rides. I know he used to have season passes and he's gone plenty of times. But as an adult, I would like to go to um, the the country one. Which one's that one? Epcot. Epcot. I'd like to go to Epcot because I'm a boring adult now, and I think that'd be interesting. Plus, I want to try beer from all the different countries. <laughs> uh, we, we, we can do that, Brent. He can go off Rod Roger or whatever. We can go ch- taste the beer. Uh, Derek says, where do they get tight ends now that Roger Salipunga committed to Oregon, or is that recruitment not over with? Um, you know, Michael Smith, the teammate of Jake Merklinger, still, is, to my knowledge, has not come up here, so is that one even real? Roger, of course, we mentioned. I mean, I... Again, I think that's why I said last week, multiple guys in the portal. You got to get one for sure, but I would uh, continue to try to see if you can get another one in the portal as well. Yeah, I want to see if they get this Cole Harrison kid on campus who's from Northern California uh, that Tennessee has offered here. They 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 visited him and, and evaluated him back in the spring and kept an eye on him this fall. He tweeted out um, that Tennessee had, I guess, basically re-offered him. He was at Washington State um, just recently. Um can Tennessee get him on campus for, for a visit? That'll be one to keep an eye on um, as, as a guy who's kind of popped up on the radar screen here. Um, he tweeted out a couple of days ago that Tennessee had, had offered him. So um, that could be a, again, that's hard get. I'm a West Coast kid who you haven't had on your campus before. Um, I think you need a high school kid and a transfer in the best case scenario. If you can't get a high school kid, then I think you got to look two transfers, and and at least one of those transfers has to have multiple years of eligibility. The UConn tight end that entered the portal said he was going to enter the portal last week, and I'm sure, man, I'm sure he's got 30, 40 offers by now. Be my first call if I were Tennessee after playing against him firsthand. <laughs> my goodness, he, he's and again he's versatile. He's quick, uh, line up outside, line up inside, H back. I mean. He's, he's really, really good. Uh, Zach brings out a good point. He said, hey, I'll be in Orlando for the Star Wars. That's universal. So I'm, I'm a huge nerd. I would like to see the Star Wars. No, Star Wars is, uh, sorry, sorry. Harry Potter World is universal. Star Wars is Disney. I want to go see both of those because I'm a big old nerd. Wow. Sounds like I'm going to be hanging out on the on a porch somewhere or a balcony of of a condo or a hotel room for the week by myself. Brent's going to be like, hey, we came down here to work, guys. Come uh, on, come I'm going to be working. Y'all can do all the tourist things you want to do. Brew McCoy's tweet to the USC tight end. Does it sound like Brew might be coming back? Um, I forgot the guy's name, but he did, you know, quote it with the eyes saying, come home, Tennessee, all that type of stuff. Brew McCoy's all about his, his, how he heals, right? Yeah. And we'll see. I mean, part of it's probably a little bit about NIL. Where's that factor in? How does he heal? Does he think he's got, um, does he, he think he's got a chance to be ready to go combine wise? Um, you know, there's lots of variables there with Brew McCoy. I, I would certainly not, rule out the possibility of him coming back uh but i don't think it's a lock that he's coming back much the same way i never thought cooper mays was a lock for coming back just because he didn't go through senior day um and, and we'll see what happens with both those guys we're gonna get one more then we're gonna take a break and say uh, hello to another proud sponsor of the show but austin says over under nine and a half tennessee players that leave in the portal we, we discussed this briefly last week you and I both thought it was somewhere between 6, 10, 6, 11, or whatever. Um, I would say that it's it's probably pushing that for sure. I, I might even go over. I technically think last year Tennessee had like 11 or 12 that left, but a lot of those were non-contributors. And you're going to see, you've already seen a couple of those guys go in. I think you're going to see more tomorrow and this week of 
guys who are buried on the depth chart. They just want to go somewhere for a new opportunity. And I think with a lot of those, those will add up and you might get around that number. I'm, I'm hesitant to maybe go over like at 11 or 12. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, are you counting COVID seniors in that deal as well? Um, I don't, uh, yeah. If they like to transfer, I guess you'd yeah, have to. If you're counting COVID seniors in there. Then uh, yeah, I could see that pushing, pushing the over. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I do think there'll be, I do think there'll be a handful of guys that are in the portal by lunchtime tomorrow for Tennessee, you know, and, and again, I, I think some of those guys are not going to be shocking to anybody because they haven't played a big factor on the team and they probably have been encouraged to, to, to move on and, and go elsewhere. Um, and some guys are just looking for an opportunity to go elsewhere. So again, it depends on how you're counting those COVID seniors in there because there's 20 of those guys. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you're not getting, you're not going to get the bulk of those guys back. So let's say half of them come back. Well, there's 10 right there. Right. Yeah. Now some of them are going pro. So you're not, what are you counting that as that? That's not a portal deal or not, but I mean, this roster is going to have a turnover of more than 10 for sure. You know, when, when you look at the COVID seniors in the transfer portal, in my opinion. So again, a, a perfect example of that would be Warren Burrell, who, you know, this is his fifth year here. He's been, he's been a three-year starter and uh, he, he has a grad year left and he wants to go and seek other opportunities. And he announced that he'd already entered the transfer portal. That was late last week. So that's an example of that one. Uh, we'll continue to answer your questions, discuss what this roster may look like by the time Tennessee rolls around for the Citrus Bowl. All that and more is coming up next right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Do you want to tell you about our friends over at Game Time? You shouldn't have to worry about when you're buying tickets to your next big event. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets to all your sporting events, music as well, comedy, theater, all that as well. There's so many shows happening right now during the holiday season and you know, these tickets that you can buy on game time via the app could be the perfect holiday treat as well, or for a sporting event coming up in the uh, the, the near future in the new year. Uh, you know, basketball games at the Food City Center, Thompson Bowling Arena, baseball games over at Lindsey Nelson Stadium, even football games next year. You can buy tickets to all those and more. That's over at game time. Plus, game time's got your back as well. They got the lowest price guarantee, meaning if you find a seat in the same section cheaper somewhere else, they're going to give you a credit of 100 and 10% of your order event cancellation protection and job loss protection as well. So they've got your back download the game time today, create an account and uh, use the promo code Vols for $20 off your first purchase terms apply again, create an account, redeem code Vols V O L S for $20 off download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed more of the Rocky top rewind is coming up next. Coming up next. Here we go. <laughs>
Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind here at VolQuest.com and VolQuest on the YouTube channel. We got so much to get into uh, really over the next 24 minutes with your questions, but also it's a big week coming up. Transfer portal officially opening tomorrow. COVID seniors making their decisions. Of course, Tennessee's already heading to the, or been announced that Tennessee and Iowa are going to be the uh, the matchup in the Citrus Bowl. So a lot going on over at VolQuest.com right now. Okay, let's get back into your questions. Uh, something that was stern on the GQ a couple days ago. Gut feeling on MTSU and Tim Banks. Is he a legitimate candidate to this point? You know, I, I mean, a candidate, I don't know how legitimate they are. Anybody is at this point because I don't know uh, how close they are to being to a final two or a final three or anything like that. Here's my question about the MTSU job. Um, they were paying to Rick Stocksdale. They were paying him about $800,000 a year. They've got to pay him five, almost $5 million as a buyout, which seems crazy at that level to have that high of a buyout. Uh, but they were, been, they were paying him $800,000 a year. Tim Banks makes $1.5 million a year. Um, I don't think MTSU is going to be able to get close to $1.5 million annually. So how big of a pay cut is Tim Banks willing to take to take a head coaching job? Um, and that's, the, you know, if he were offered that job and that's something that Tim Banks would have to look into. I don't think it's gotten deep down that road in terms of money or to the point of a job offer. I don't think MTSU is that far in the process. Uh, some preliminary discussions and, um, I do think they have some interest in Tim, but I don't know how much, how much deeper that interest is going to go here in the coming days. It's a really good point. You got to remember the coordinators here at Tennessee, the defensive coordinator makes 1.5, Tim Banks, as you mentioned, Joey Halsley, I believe, makes one $1 million. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yes. And uh, even Glenn Ellerby, offensive line coach, he makes $850,000 a year. So, you know, well, that was part of the deal, right, Brent? Whenever Josh Heupel was hired, it's like, okay, you're walking into this mess. You need to have some resources to get some guys to come here and help me. Well, they, I mean, they have eight of their 10 assistant coaches that are making $500,000 plus. Yeah. Four, four of their 10 are making $800,000 plus when you factor in. Rodney Garner and you factor in Glenn Ellerby to go with the two coordinators. Um, and then, you know, you've got, you just got a lot of guys making a good, a good amount of money. So um, I, I just don't know where MTSU is going to be. And I don't know where Tim Banks is in terms of, you know, a year ago, Alex Golish was, was going to take a head coaching job come hell or high water. Yeah. He was ready to be a head coach. He wanted to be a head coach. He could, he ended up being able to get to South Florida job and had a great year down there. By the way, congratulations to him for getting to a bowl mm -hmm. game. You know, could he have gotten a better job if he had held out? Maybe I don't know, uh, but he wanted a head coaching job. I don't know if I don't know if Tim's at a point in his in his career where he's like, I'm taking the first one I can get, you know, or if he's going to be more selective and and look at the money thing and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm not sure the answer to that question, um, but with with Tim in that in that search, but he's obviously going to listen to schools that want to talk to him, and MTSU has wanted to talk to him. Kelly wants to know about. Joe Milton's draft stock, is it high enough for him to consider opting out? How does playing right now help his draft stock? I think the latter part of that question is a really good one. You know, we've seen Joe play all year long. We saw Joe parts and times at Tennessee in 21, at Michigan in 2020, or Michigan in, I guess that was 2020. Um, so how can this one game help Joe? It might not help him that much, but I think he just wants to play. You're going to, I mean, this is a home game for him. Going back home, family's going to see him play and everything. He likes playing in the state of Florida. Um, I think wants to continue to add on to what he's done here at Tennessee. You're not going to do what you did against Vanderbilt. That's as, as good as it's going to get. But um, how would you answer that in terms of how will this even help his draft stock at all? I don't think it helps him. 
I mean, I think there's enough tape out there that he, Joe is what Joe is. I, I don't think anybody's going to change their belief or, or their thought process in, in terms of what they believe Joe is and where Joe is as a quarterback right now based on what he does in four quarters of a bowl game in, in on January the 1st. Um, now, if, if he were a guy who had played in just a handful of games, you know, maybe that's a different deal because we all saw what kind of juice he got coming out of the bowl win last year mm-hmm. because he'd been playing, you know, a backup role in this system. And, and you had not really seen it other than the two starts before he lost his job. And he obviously wasn't very good in those two starts. But now you've got 12 games of evidence against all kinds of competition. You've seen the good Joe. You've seen the bad Joe. You've seen the really good Joe. You've seen the really bad Joe. I don't know that four quarters of football against Iowa is going to take him and and really change his draft stock. I don't know that he can be a a fourth round pick in somebody's eyes. I'm being hypothetical here and say, boy, he he played himself up two rounds in a bowl game. I just don't think that's realistic at all. Now, that doesn't mean um, he should opt out. I mean, you know, it's obviously his decision. This game is in his backyard, and I think that's going to carry weight with him in, in terms of wanting to play in this game. Uh, and he, he certainly indicated leaving the, the press room after the Vanderbilt game that he was going to play in the bowl game. So uh, I think he's going to play. I do too. I mean, I, at this point, I would be I'd be surprised if you know he came out, which no one's expecting in the day, you know, the week or two, and say he's not going to play. I think he's going to play, and I think that's kind of been the plan the, the entire time. I think a bowl game in Orlando just kind of fuels that even more for him to play because again, that's home for him. Uh, Timothy comes back, and Timothy, we appreciate the super chat. Uh, what about Jerry Mack, Willie Martinez? Of course, uh, discussing changes on the staff. We've talked about Willie Martinez. We'll see what happens. His contract is up the 1st of February. Awesome Price put out some notes about that. Uh, care to add any more on the Willie Martinez future? And then Jerry Mack, I mean, he's under contract. The only way Jerry Mack would, would probably leave if he got a big-time coordinator position or uh, a head coaching opportunity, whereas he's he's been a head coach at points in times in his past. Yeah, I mean, I think the right opportunity would have to be out there for Jerry Mack to to him for him to to look at being a head coach. You know, if the NFL called, that might be something he would can consider. You know, to be a position coach in the NFL. Yeah. I, I mean, I think any of those guys would look at that. Willie Martinez is not going to retire. I think the notion that he was going to retire is, I think his family's put that to bed pretty quick on social media and also yeah. some notes out there. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's back. I mean, I, I know his contract ends, but. Uh, he's on the road recruiting. Wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all if, if he doesn't get um, a, a new deal at Tennessee uh, when it's all said and done. But you know we'll, we'll see what what Josh Heupel does with you know with his staff and and with everything moving forward. But I, I you know I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Willie Martinez is out of here because his contract expires. Because I think it's very easily he could just be given an extension uh, on that contract and. Um, and roll on from there. So we'll see what happens with Josh Eipel and his staff in the, in the coming days and months. But I don't expect any movement with his staff um, this month unless somebody gets a job, unless Tim Banks were to land a job somewhere or, or Jerry Mack were to land a job somewhere. You know, Connor says, hoping for a youth movement in the bowl game. And and that's kind of an interesting thought or, or wish because, again, this roster – it, it, it can look com- not completely different. It can look much different than what it did lining up for the Vanderbilt game. Um, COVID seniors, what do you decide to do? Players leaving for the transfer portal, um, all that type of stuff. Injuries as well. Are guys getting healthier? Are guys shutting it down, having offseason surgery? There's a lot that can happen. I mean, again, the, I think the best, um, I think the best example of this could be the running back position. Say 
Hypothetically, Jalen Wright says, hey, I'm going to the NFL. I'm going to opt out. Say Jabari Small says, hey, I'm going to try my hand at the NFL or I'm going to move on for another opportunity. I'm not going to play in the bowl game. I mean, you're looking at Dylan Sampson, which you're fine with, but also looking at Cam Selden. And this would not count against, I mean, Cam Selden doesn't qualify for a redshirt anyway, but the, this bowl game wouldn't count against a redshirt for those guys. Like Cam Selden in this situation would get a whole lot of run, no pun intended. So I think it truly just kind of depends on where this roster is, offensive lineman, health-wise, um, who's coming back, all that types of stuff. Whereas you could see a lot of youth in this football game coming up at the on New Year's Day. Well, I think this is an interesting place for coaches um, because you have an interesting challenge. Like you want to reward your seniors, okay, just like you rewarded them on senior day. But I also think you have to look at this game as an opportunity for your young players. I mean, look, I mean, it goes on your record. The game goes on your record, win or lose, you know, your bowl record. You, you go out to win the game. I'm not saying that. But at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world, right? It doesn't yeah. carry great weight. It doesn't carry great magnitude. It's not going to change the narrative of your football team going into 24 to any real degree. Um, so in a lot of ways, it is an exhibition game. And, and I think in, in that scenario, you should look at getting young players on there. But I think this program struggles to play their youth when they have opportunities to, to play youth and blow out games, blow out wins, blow out losses. I, I don't think they do a great job across the board of getting those guys in there. Uh, I would have played Nico much earlier in the Vanderbilt game than what they did. Um, I would have played s some other players, some youth in the secondary, some young offensive linemen. I would have played Ethan Davis, you know, but that's me. I'm not, nobody's paying me $9 million to make those decisions. But I look at it from the outside looking in and I just see missed opportunities for young players. And here's the other thing too. Look at the number of first- and second-year players that are going in the portal. Mm -hmm. Higher than it's ever been, first- and second-year players. It's not a bunch of grad transfers going in the portal. It's not a bunch of seniors-to-be. It's a lot of guys finishing their freshman year, finishing their sophomore year. They're going to the portal because they haven't gotten that playing time. Now, you can make the argument they need to be more patient. I get all that. I understand that argument. But are you doing everything you can to get those guys on the field, to further their development, to keep them engaged in your program, to give you the best chance to keep those guys you want to keep as a part of your roster management. I think you have to really focus as a head coach, seeing the big picture in the CEO world, Eric, you've got to focus on getting those guys on the field when you can and keep them engaged. And again, we got asked this in the Monday night chat, I think last week, and it was like, well, who makes these calls? Is the head coach or the position coaches on playing time? I mean, they talk about it throughout the week in terms of how they want to go about this stuff, you know, red shirt and all that type of stuff. But, I mean, it's the position coaches that do the rotations. Outside of quarterback, Brent, I mean, Josh Hoppel doesn't have a say in – I mean, he could if he wanted to, but he's, he's doing everything else during the football game. Um, so it's up to those position coaches. And, and something you and I have spoke on, this is, not, this is a stat that will drive Tennessee fans crazy. Um, John Slaughter, Jack Luttrell, Christian Conyer, and Jordan Matthews combined for 11 defensive snaps this season. I mean, again, you can still preserve your red shirt. A couple of those guys are going to red shirt and have a whole lot more snaps than that. 11 snaps combined for four of your freshman defensive backs. That's not helping matters. They need to be patient. They're a long ways away. I get it. But you still need to help them. Throw them some bones in there in some of those blowout games. And I feel like Tennessee doesn't do a, a good enough job in that regard. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And, you know, the, the, one, the one thing I will say is there are probably times where a coordinator makes a call, you know, on who they want in um, – at a certain position because they're going to go with a special package. 
Yeah. Right. If they're going to go into something and say, Hey, we want, I want this running back in because we're going to get into this stuff here. Or, or maybe we want to get this guy on the field defensively because we're going to get into this kind of this scheme that we're wanting to get into as a part of that package. So that happens from time to time. But in terms of the regular rotation, it's the position coaches that manage that. Yeah. Uh, Timothy Jones back in said, Hey, heard, uh, maybe saw a note about Jerry Mack being a name included uh, with, with MTSU. Uh, again, anytime there's an opening, there's going to, you're going to go through and there's going to be publications listing a ton of names to watch out for. But have you heard anything about Jerry Mack maybe being linked to MTSU? I, I mean, I've seen his name mentioned out there, but I don't think he's had any real contact with them or anything, any detail. He's not interviewed for the job. He's not had the discussion with MTSU that Tim Banks has had. All right, let's go to, um, Let's see here. Let's go to let's go to Herb here. Not football related, but uh, Dalton Connect injury basketball. Any word on the heated Barnes Vescovy argument? A uh, lot, 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 lot to come from that UNC loss last week. Tennessee's comeback was really, really impressive in the second half. Dalton Connect is is really, really, really good. Of course, you know rolls his rolls his ankle there, and I think that's a day to day thing. Uh, it's a sprained ankle is what everybody called it after the game, and and I think that'd be day to day to kind of watch and see where he is this week. Vesvi, of course, you know, Rick Barnes, I think, has is, is proven this over his, his coaching career, and he said as much. Um, not afraid to – I don't care who you are. If you're not getting the job done, you're not going to play. And, I mean, he said that if they didn't make it a game there in the second half, Vesvi wasn't even going to get those four minutes in the second half. Um, I think they're going to be okay and everything, but I think that's just a reminder that the head coach, not afraid to, to, to pull anyone out and put anybody on the pine, and that's kind of what you saw with, uh, with Vesvi the other night. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. I mean, you know, we'll see if, if Vesvi – if they can – Kind of, you know, if, if Vescovy can come around to the things that Rick Barnes wants him to, I think I think Santi's having an adjustment period, um, and it, and he, he's not against Dalton Connect. There's no yeah. in, there's no issue there, but it's different. It's different on the floor for Santi with, when Vescovy's out there. Um, you know, it's a different style of game. He's doing different things. I think Santi can um, benefit from it by 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 getting more open looks because of what Dalton Connect can do moving the basketball, you know, dribbling towards the rim and and and, and causing the defense to move. But uh, clearly there was a disconnect in that North Carolina game with Coach Barnes and Santi, and we'll see where that is uh, when Tennessee gets back to the floor on, on Tuesday. I, I can't imagine Connect's going to play this week. Uh, I think they're going to rest that ankle, and we'll see where he's at. We'll get a better update on that um, hopefully tomorrow um, uh, on Monday and, and then go from there. So um, – We'll see. I mean, I, I think that the, the dynamic with Santi and, and Coach Barnes, you know, those guys have been through a lot together. Mm-hmm. I think they'll sit down and, and can can work it out. But uh, anytime your head coach starts talking openly about his frustrations with a senior player, you, you often wonder about how that's going to be taken and, and how that's going to be accepted and received. And uh, those two probably need to get in a room and, and talk it out. And Santi might want to talk to him in a language that Coach Barnes doesn't understand for a few minutes. And Maybe get all the frustrations out and, and then go back to play. I mean, Santi's a competitor. I think he'll be fine. But um, that is a that is a unique dynamic this early in the season. You know that you have that kind of discussion going on publicly uh, from the head coach about one of his players. And again, this is nothing new. I mean, Barnes has done this. He's, he did it last year. Not, a little with, that, bit. not with that guy though. That's been not, not with that guy. You're right. Santi's been kind of his pet uh, yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, that's a guy. I mean, and, and what's interesting is Wednesday night on Vol calls. He was so de- so defending of Santi because um, Santi he was asked about you know getting Santi going on a consistent basis offensively and he he was quickly to point out all the little things that Santi does for the team mm-hmm. and, and and how it's beyond you know it's it's unfortunate that 
Um, the only thing that he, you know, gets kind of judged by is whether he's scoring or not because he does so many other really good things for the team. And then that was on Monday night. And then on Wednesday night, he said, well, I, you know, I wasn't planning on putting him back in the game. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's the life of playing for coach Barnes and Ben, you're right. Um, he, he used to say similar things about Jordan bone as, as Eric just said, this yep. is not the first time. And, uh, Santi is absolutely capable of handling hard coaching. I don't think that this is some kind of great divide and some kind of great is, issue. Uh, I just think that it, it's a little interesting that, that Rick went there um, as fast as he did. Now he was frustrated about a lot of things on, on Wednesday night with the North Carolina game. And, um, he decided to go there with it and, um, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I bet Santi bounces back in a, in a pretty good way. Hey, let's get Mike's. Yeah. Go ahead and get Mike's question there. Cause it's about basketball too. Yeah. I, I think this is a really good point. Said he went to the Carolina game. Don't think Tennessee can get to the elite eight without an inside presence. Do you agree, man? It's like, it's like, we talk about this in our group chat all the time. I mean, you got to find some consistency you know, players, and I know there's been some injuries there and everything, but I mean, Awaka, Adu, some of those young guys, they, they've they got to bring it. they got to be a bigger presence for Tennessee in order to be where you want to be in the month of March, and it's a long season. We're first of December, right? But um, I would agree with that for sure. Yeah, I mean, Jonas got to stay out of foul trouble because yeah. he's got to be a rim protector for Tennessee, and, and Tennessee's shown to themselves to be a good team through the years without their post player providing a ton of offense. Uh, you know, doesn't have to be the most dynamic offensive guy. They've got to be able to rebound. They've got to be able to protect the rim. They need they need Awaka to stay healthy. Um, Awaka to stay healthy, and, and they need Adu to stay out of foul trouble. And, and they do need they you know they need eight points. And you know, I mean, they combine those guys out of being a double double every night. Okay, you you need yeah. ten points, ten plus rebounds out of those two post players every night for for Tennessee. And then you know they're going to have to get um, a guy like you know, Josiah Jordan James to play more, you know, than he wants to play 15 feet in. I mean, I'm not saying he's got to drive hard to the basket, but he's got to use that. I liked what he did at North Carolina early in that game with those 12, 15 foot jumpers. That's got to be a part of his game every single night when he plays, he cannot get into those habits of just drifting around the three point line. He's got to work the middle of the floor there because he can be such a matchup problem when he wants to be. Hey, Timothy comes back, uh, taking it back to football. Why don't you go under center more? Uh, you can do that with a spread offense. It would give the running backs enough time to burst through the line faster. I know it's directed to you, Brent, but I, I know at least in, in shotgun, um, they run a lot, a lot of things out of gun because you can see things quicker. Um, you could read the end man when you are running it, those zone reads or RPOs even. You can read the end man on the line of scrimmage or even a backer quicker or better if you're back in, in, in gun. Uh, you just don't see a lot of under under center uh, a whole lot in today's offense, to be honest with you. Well, if you're going to run RPO and you're going to run zone and you're going to run zone read, you got to be in the gun. Yep. Now, I don't think you should be in the gun in short yardage situations. I think you got to mm -hmm. get under center and and, and get there. Um, that, that's you know, that's a pet peeve of mine. It's been a pet peeve of mine. Um, the thing about being in the gun and running zone read is your quarterback's got to be willing to pull it and run the zone read. Yep. Um, it's it's not an effective. The zone read's not effective if your quarterback doesn't is not willing to run the football it's why georgia doesn't run zone read right because carson beck is not going to run the football you're not worried about that very often um but but alabama's in the gun because milroe can run zone read as we saw yesterday so to to, to make that fully effective your quarterback's got to be a willing runner um and he's also got to be a guy who will do, run straight rpo out of that he'll zone read it and he'll throw it um and run the rpo game and, and i think tennessee 
for this offense has to get back to being more efficient in the RPO game to make this offense as explosive as everybody wants it to be. There's a lot more RPO that went on last year with Hendon Hooker than a lot of people know. And, and I don't think they got into enough of that RPO game um, with, with Joe Milton enough this year. Let's go to Keith. Keith brings up a good point. Thoughts on offensive line recruiting since Hypel and LRB have arrived. Recruiting, evaluation, development. Why are we where we are right now? I think he's talking about a lot of those young guys and in terms of Addison Nichols got plenty of opportunities. Um, you know, Mo Clipper just entered the portal, Brian Grant. And then some of these freshmen coming up right now in Bison Lang and and Sham and, and you know, some of these other guys. Uh, I'll say this. I think the I think a lot of it all of it needs to be a little bit better. Maybe evaluation, um, you know, recruiting and all that. Development Man, it, it's tough to say that that hadn't been there because, I mean, again, you turned in Darnell Wright, who came in with a ton of talent. I'm not, I mean, Darnell Wright and, and Wanya Morris were no scrubs when they got on campus way back when. But uh, because of Glenn Ellerby, man, Darnell Wright reached his potential and was a top 10 pick. Cade Mays talked so well, and Cooper Mays about, and Jerome Carvin about uh, how they grew under Glenn Ellerby. So I think as a developer, he's been really, really good. But overall, at that position, at least for some of these young guys on the roster, I, it's 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 not great when you put in a banged up Gerald Mincy to play eight snaps against Georgia in a blowout loss because you have nobody else. Well, and I mean it's not great that you're sitting here potentially going getting ready to go into year four and never played a high school player um, that you recruited significant reps if, yeah. if Addison Nichols doesn't stay and he essentially played one game in his career other than mm -hmm. some mop up duties he's played one game um, so. I think your evaluation's got to be better. I guess I think you've got to close in recruiting better. Um, I think development's probably the last piece of that that would be a question mark because of what you just mentioned. Uh, but but I think you've got to recruit better. I think your evaluation uh, at this point is is a question mark because you haven't seen those guys. Now, yeah, they're still young, but but those guys are moving out of year two. And and where are you know where are some of those guys? And where are these freshmen going to be coming out of year one uh, moving forward? I mean. You, you, you can't miss on all of them, right? Yeah. I mean, surely your evaluation is not a miss on every one of them, uh, but you're going to have to have some guys step up and, and be a factor uh, moving forward. Now, hey, you said here if you get Spragans back, right? You get Cooper back, you get um, Mincy. Mincy back, you get Andre Carrick back, you got Dane Davis coming back. You can be sitting there and be a very veteran offensive line going into next year with a lot of young guys still in the same spot they were in this year. And that's doing a lot of standing and watching. So we'll see what that looks like this offseason. And if I'm Nico, I'm saying, whoo, come on, come on, come on home. Come on back. Come on back. I, I need all the, these veterans in front of me so I don't break next year. Uh, last question. We'll give it to Austin here. And this kind of goes along with what we're talking about. Recruiting misses have been a hotly debated topic on the GQ. Is it this staff's lacking? What is this staff doing to lack the, the ability to close on, on some of these top recruits? Uh, something I've heard, you know, AP and Matt say repeatedly and, and something I've seen a little bit. Um, I, I think the board needs to be bigger, right? I mean, Tennessee's in on some of these big guys. They're in it. They're not just a name. They're not just a, a logo on a graphic. I mean, they're in it. But when you don't get these guys, it's recruiting. You're not going to get them all, obviously. What's your plan? You know, where are you with some of these other other guys that you like? If you're having to start completely over, I mean, like, 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 like tight end. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Like, where are you at on tight end right now? Um, I think the board needs to be bigger. I think that'd be my critique. And again, I don't cover it like AP and Matt do and you guys do, but uh, that'd be my biggest critique. Yeah. I mean, look at the tight end position, right? So you missed out on, on your top three or four targets at tight end. 
uh, when, when it's all said and done with Roger being the last one to kind of come off the board that you had been coveting. What do you do? You start, you, you go back and, and you, you were offer a guy and you start recruiting heavily a guy from Northern California who hasn't been on your campus with two and a half weeks, three weeks till signing day. That's a hard get, man. And this day and age when guys are making six, seven trips places, that's a hard ass to be able to close in and land, you know, one of those deals. So um, I think you got to get more guys in camp. And I think the thing that you have to do is you got to do a better job of keeping guys warm. And what I mean by that is you got to keep recruiting those guys, even though you're not ready to take a commitment from them at that point in time. Um, you got to you got to keep kind of keep the the fire lit a little bit with those guys. And I think there's too much of turning the spigot off. And okay, here's our here's our top five at that position. Oh wait a minute, we we struck out. Now let's go turn the spigot back on. It's awful late to do that. That that would be a criticism that that I have of of this staff. Just just have more guys on the hook, if you will, um, that, that you can move on from pretty quickly if you need to. We really do appreciate you guys for tuning in and checking us out here all football season long on the Rocky Top Rewind. We've done it Sunday nights at 8 o'clock. We'll be back. This is going to be the, the last regularly regularly scheduled program on a Sunday night, but we'll pop in, you know, recruiting day, talks recruiting. We might do one closer to the bowl game, and we'll let you guys know on the general's quarters and and uh, on social media as well. But uh, this will be the last one routinely on a Sunday night. And again, big thank you to Spivey King and Spivey LLP. Uh, they they worked with me during baseball season last year. Hopefully going to get them out for baseball season this year again. But uh, they presented uh, the, the Rocky Top Rewind every Sunday night. Really, really great people over there. Tennessee fans, they're people you can trust. And they do a great job. If you got a problem, let them find a solution for you, TN Trial Lawyers. Again, that phone number for a free consultation if you have a need for Spivey King and Spivey LLP, 423-245-4185. Again, that's a free consultation at that phone number, and you can visit them online at SpiveyKingAndSpiveyLLP.com. Brent Hubs, we got a lot going on right now at the website. Season may be over, but uh, silly season's begun. It's going to be a big week over at BallQuest.com. Yep, it is. It's going to start on Monday with the portal officially opening, and we'll get more into offers that Tennessee and guys Tennessee's pursuing out there as we get a better handle on all of that, and certainly – I get a better gauge and, and we'll get some definition on some guys leaving the program. Obviously two guys have announced that they are leaving of Warren Burrell and Mo Clipper. I think you're going to see more coming out on Monday. I'm a little surprised you haven't seen more. And then obviously we're going to get some news uh, coming out of, of the, the COVID senior guys. Who's going to come back. It feels like there's uh, a real chance that, that Peely is going to be back. We'll see what, what he formally announces something here uh, in the coming days. And, and as Austin mentioned on the board, um, and and a, a pretty significant Saturday night note that Omar Norman Lott seems to be leaning towards coming back to Tennessee as well, uh, which would be a real positive get for Tennessee with those five and a half sacks on the interior. Um, so we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens with the rest of those guys out there and chase every rumor. There's going to be a ton of them. Plus, you got a five-star recruit on the vine and, and uh, Jordan Seaton that Tennessee's trying to, to go with, and you have some official visitors coming in the next couple of weekends. So it's hot and happening right now. It's a busy time of the year. If anybody ever played that uh, that that Madden kind of spinoff from EA Sports, I think it was called Head Coach, where you don't play the games, you just sit in the general manager's chair and the head coach's chair and you make all these moves. That's what these next few weeks are like here for Tennessee football. So if you like that, uh, you're in for a treat over at VolQuest.com with COVID seniors, transfer portal, and all that. All right, he's Brent Hubs. I'm Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys for being here. Big thanks again to Spivey King and Spivey LLP, and we will talk to you again here on the General's Quarters. 